This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Nick Stogberg. And before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a podcaster, YouTuber, content creator, and you want to discover, embrace, or share your voice, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you create that tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions. Nick, welcome to the show, my friend. It's awesome to be here. Appreciate you having me here. Man, I'm super excited because we're going to really dive into something I think is really fascinating. Obviously, real estate is going crazy, and you're the CEO and founder of Black Swan Real Estate, among many other interesting things from your background. And I want to give the audience just that little bit of an opportunity to know you, where obviously you have that real estate space, but you've been everything from a software startup founder um, to this software space and to this real estate space where you developed an interest of real estate investing at the age of 14, when you really needed to secure safe housing due to family health issues. You've continued that where you earnestly started your career in 2014 with that with that real estate investing space. With the help of a trusted realtor, you and Elaine purchased your first real estate investment, Elaine being your beautiful wife, a single family home foreclosure in Oklahoma City that you were then able to do several different things with. And now you're the owner of a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio. And I think there's a fun fact that you're going to share with us. And I'm not going to spoil it because obviously we have a lot to talk about in the business world. But I really want to know, what's that fun fact about how busy and full your hands are? Yeah. So I'm a, a lifelong entrepreneur. I've had lots of successful ventures, You know, a third of a billion dollars in assets under management, our current real estate company. But really, I'm a family first kind of guy. So I've got a a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, a five-month-old, and then another brand new baby on the way here next uh, next March, April. And my wife is my full partner in the business. So I spend you know close to 24 hours a day with her. And I don't really believe in work-life balance. I love the idea of the integrated life. Like if I can't figure out when I'm working, when I'm playing, when one stops and one starts, that's when I'm that's when I'm in my element right there. So I have to ask, who's the decision maker here? Yeah, so I'm the decision maker. You know, on the uh, if, she, if Elaine's listening, oh, you're in so much trouble right now, sir. No, no, no. I'm, well, I'm, I'm clear, joking, she's okay. my board of directors on the org chart <laughs> there, and she has her own vertical in the organization that she's the executive director of that. I have no say in it, and vice versa. So we have separate verticals in the company, but I think she would agree that I'm the decision maker nice. there. Every organization has to have one decision maker. I love that, man. It's always fascinating to hear about these power couples who are doing so many amazing things, and obviously with that much property under management, there's a lot going on. So have you found, I love that you just said integrated life balance, right? It's not a work-life balance. It's an integrated life with everything you're doing. How did you find that in this role where a lot of couples struggle to work with each other, not to mention four kids and one on the way, like that's a totally different environment. How'd y'all manage to find this great integration? Very deliberately. So, you know, most people, they've got a couple of kids and they just kind of feel a sense of being underwater, being behind. And when you've got more than that, like you really need to, you really need to get in front of it or you just, you, you can't keep up. So we're very deliberate in all that. So like, here's a like total random example. You know, one day recently we needed to get family photos for the kids. 
anyone with small children has, you know, they know this is about the worst day of the year when you try and get family photos done and stuff to get the kids to behave. And we wanted to go to this really fancy photographer that's, you know, a couple hours drive away. So the kids are always, you know, kind of cranky after being on a long car ride. And we we're going to do it on a weekday, you know, which is a work day. So we said, okay, ask a high quality question is one of my mentors would say, how can we make this a really awesome, fun, crazy, amazing day? So, you know, we had one of our staff members join us. So we've got kind of extra set of hands. They drove up separately from us. My wife and I drove up, you know, kind of beforehand, did a couple of calls with people. I think we did one, we did one podcast that day. We rented a suite at a hotel. So we had like a little recording studio. We bought, you know, a camera and some lights and stuff like that. And then we had a hotel room to ourselves for a couple hours, which when you got four kids, like that's, you got to make every chance you got. And so everyone's now in like a peak state to go into those photos. And, you know, just like, at what point were we working? And at what point were we playing? Well, well I guess there is actually a pretty, no, no point of delineation in that particular story. But I think that whole day we would say, were we working? Were we playing? We really don't know. And you could say, okay, I'm going to work a half day and try to like work, you know, extra uh, you know, late at night to make up for the lost time or something like that, or you can just say, you know what, this whole thing is work. This whole thing is play. And how can we just make sure we're having fun doing it? And that's it. You know, I do a lot of, uh, you know, calls with investors and stuff. And the number one question we get is, you know, are you really this in love with your wife? Like, there's no way it's that perfect. Let me be clear. It's not perfect in the slightest. It's tough every day. You don't ever have a mediocre day when you work with your spouse every single day, but it, it certainly gives you a point of focus. Like you better make it good or it's going to be really bad. And that would be my advice to anyone that, you know, has a significant other and they want to improve their relationship, just spend a lot of time with them and you will figure out very quickly how to make it better or it'll get a lot worse. I love that. And you mentioned an aspect of what she operates overall and you have this foundation that's attached to a lot of what you do in the Mm -hmm. educational space. Can you give us an idea about what the foundation is? Yeah. So that's very much my wife's thing. So we have our, you know, separate, you know, verticals in the company, really important to have kind of one boss or staff knows, you know, who do they report to? Who's the decider? That is very much my wife's thing. The educational side is is very much her thing. I, you know, do everything I can to support that and vice versa. But we really love education. It's frustrating to us how many courses are out there where you pay, you know, $5,000 for a course that, you know, 20 years ago would have been a $5 book. So it's a a pay what you can model. A hundred percent of that revenue goes to charity and our charity supports numerous things. So we actually just opened a school and let me be clear, this isn't my thing at all. My wife gets all the credit for this, but there's this awesome kind of young, hungry startup school. They were in the basement of a 70-year-old church building in about 9,000 square feet of space. And we helped find an abandoned office building, basically. Over the summer, we put in a bunch of sweat equity. We got a really favorable kind of lease with a purchase option. And, you know, now it's this, you know, vibrant, beautiful school with a 40,000 square foot campus, you know, much more space and enough acreage that we could put another 40,000 square feet in there. So that's just one of the things that our, that our foundation does. We really love to be actively involved and just finding cool things in our community to support. Like my wife and I could never run a school, but if we can find a school that's you know, worth putting our, you know, resources, money and kind of organizational wherewithal and, and networking behind to, to supercharge it. Like that is an ideal situation for us. Just, you know, a little bit of money, a little bit of time, a little bit of expertise to exponentially amplify the power of, of someone else who's already doing amazing things in the community. So what drove you that direction? Why do you feel like there needed to be a cause attached to what you're focused on, what you're learning? Is there something that kind of guided you to want to give back in that capacity? Yeah. So we're spiritual people. We're not super religious, but we're very spiritual people. And uh, you know, that's kind of our calling. Also, you know, I, 
a big mentor of ours is Tony Robbins. I don't know if you've ever been to any of his seminars or anything like that, but you know, he'll tell you that the secret to living is giving. And, you know, about three years ago, Elaine and I had reached, you know, kind of a level of financial freedom that was comfortable. You know, we had a, a pretty good size portfolio where, you know, we wouldn't necessarily have to work anymore. And it just so happened that right when we hit that point, and, you know, I, I think my path is guided. I don't think this is a coincidence. We went to our first Tony Robbins seminar and, you know, he says, you know, I suspect that if you're in this room, you're at a crossroads. And if you just sit there and think about it, you'll never go anywhere. The best way to figure out the steering wheel is to put the pedal to the metal. And for people that have already, you know, achieved enough in life that maybe they don't have to work anymore, like it's kind of a terrible thing, right? It's something that I think a lot of people strive for financial freedom, not having to work, but like we were created to work, to, to create, to serve, to give. And so Tony is an expert in coaching people in that type of situation. He says like, you have to make it about other people. You have to keep growing and you have to do it by giving. So he encourages you to write down just totally insane goals. So we made a goal to 100x our portfolio, which we actually have done in the last three years. I can't believe that happened, but it did. Made a goal. I think every good son wants to like buy a, a house for his mama. My mom was very sick, so I wasn't sure how to do that. And you know, Tony will tell you to ask high quality questions. So I said, okay, how could I buy a home for my mom? And I'm going to build an assisted living facility. So I have no idea how that happened, but that that also did happen. You know, it's the most beautiful, you know, four bed assisted living home you'll ever see with Amish cabinets and quartz countertops and that sort of thing. Uh, said we wanted to build a school for our children, and that also just came to fruition. And then we wanted to we're in the, the the private equity space, the real estate syndication space. There's a lot of like business practices that I guess I don't really love in that space. It's a lot of kind of the active partners. I feel like kind of squeezing fees out of you know investors and operational partners. And so you know we had another really really powerful mentor that said, you know, if you don't like it, if you don't like the rules of the game, just change the game. If you don't like how, you know, private equity works, just change private equity, which that just sounds like a completely insane statement. But once you just say that out loud, like it is that simple. So we launched a private equity fund. It has no fees, no splits. hundred percent of the profit goes to our partners until they get a full return of capital and indefinite hold period, like a, just a totally different model than anything I'd ever seen before. But it lets us just kind of focus on giving, focus on serving And Tony Robbins was 100% correct. I was like feeling a little bit like, okay, I'm a 35-year-old retiree. Like it didn't feel good even for the short, you know, time period I was there. And now it's just, it's all about how much can we give? How much can we serve? How much can we become? And, you know, it it sounds like maybe a little bit of woo-woo nonsense, but man, when you are like the day the school opened, like my face ached from smiling, like the line of parents, you know, going to go into the new building and, They all helped make it happen. You know, they were all running a paint roller and ripping up carpet. And here's this building, you know, this temple where my children are going to learn for the next decade that, you know, I, in some small way, helped create, like on their t-shirts, the school uniforms say, uh, gratitude is my attitude and uh, stay open-minded. And like, I don't know, like when you create these big goals to give, it's just, it's hyper-motivating. It's so much more motivating than being focused on yourself. So maybe it's actually selfish to be selfless. But yeah, that's kind of how we came to have this mission that we have today. It's just so much fun. And I love that you have that much passion attached to things. So I feel like entrepreneurs sometimes forget that piece, right? Forget yeah. to, you, know, you want to make money. Right, right. There's a little bit attached to that and you get lost in the grind and you you want to make money. You want to have something that has an integrative life, right? 
but you kind of forget like there's a passion piece attached to it because otherwise that burnout gets hit. Have you noticed that you and Elaine, have have y'all hit burnout together or y'all like a good balance metric attached to it for each other? How do you overcome that? You know, I guess the short answer is no, but we sense it. We feel it out there as this thing. Whenever something starts to get heavy, like we know we can't ever get to that point. There's just so many balls in the air. And if we ever did kind of burn out, like it would be a bad thing. So, you know, my advice to any entrepreneur that's struggling with that, being in the grind, if it's heavy, drop it. You know, if it's light, pick it up and run with it and, you know, leverage the things that are heavy for you, the things that you don't enjoy doing. So we hire a crazy amount of accountants and property management. There's a crazy amount of accounting work involved. The things that we really love, like I love going on podcasts and just like talking to people about things I'm excited about. Like, like how could you ever get burned out on this? Whatever this feeling is I have right now, like I'm never getting burned out on this, or I shouldn't say never, but I don't see that happening anytime soon, but I would get burned out on doing like leasing showings for a property management company. So we have a large leasing team that's, you know, out there securing leases. And maybe that sounds a little vague to drop it if it's heavy. So a really cool hack that I, this sounds like almost a jerk move, but do not ever respond to communication that you do not want more of. There's very few caveats to that, you know, like the IRS or something might be one of them. But in general, like everyone that's listening to this podcast, they probably have some emails in their inbox that they're, they've been in that inbox for a while. And they're like, ah, eh, I gotta, no, you don't gotta like, just delete it. (laughs) If it really matters, it will come back around. It probably doesn't matter. And if it comes back around, it will come back in a different form of communication. That's the craziest thing. So let's say someone says that, you know, they need this piece of paperwork from you. At one point, you know, when we were, we had not hired enough people, there was like hundreds of thousands of dollars of income that was waiting on me to do some paperwork. And I just didn't do the paperwork. And then one day I'm like, Hey, all this paperwork's here. We got to hire a paperwork person. This job description just wrote itself. And I would much rather sit down and do a job interview and find a rock star person to hire than do some paperwork. If I had just done the paperwork, I'd still be doing the paperwork. So you got to make sure you're not, you're you're dropping rubber balls. You're not dropping glass balls as you're juggling those balls, but just don't respond to communication that you don't want more of. And very quickly, these problems with burnout, they will just evaporate. Now you'll have new problems. (laughs) Let me be clear about that. But as an entrepreneur, there'll probably be problems that are more interesting, more energizing for you to solve. Yeah, I think that's an interesting concept because I, as you're saying it, I'm laughing. Even the IRS, sometimes I don't respond to it. I feel like that's probably yeah. one I, I should, you know, but Absolutely. it's funny. They're not I go back to you anytime soon, man. And when they do, eventually they will call if it they're, really matters. They're going to get their damn money eventually, <laughs> right? Like you, you can't really avoid it for too long, but I, I like that because it, you can essentially remove that immediate stressor for a little bit and stop letting that overwhelm happen. Because I think at that point, once that overwhelm sets in, you start thinking about the analysis paralysis, the perfection paralysis, where people are like, oh, I got all this. I have all of these things to do. And now all of a sudden that overwhelm and you're in quicksand and you're just like sinking instead of swimming at that point, right? Language is powerful. Like I talk to a lot of people who feel overwhelmed in their business. And I encourage you to just delete the word overwhelm from your vocabulary. That's like a like such a heavy word. I mean, this, again, this might sound like a little bit of woo-woo nonsense, but if you just get rid of the word overwhelm, the overwhelm will disappear. There's so much emotional load with that word overwhelm. You know, we've got this huge opportunity in front of us. We've, I'm really fascinated with this problem that we need to solve, that we get to solve. And when you stay in that, that open mindset, all of a sudden the overwhelm just disappears. You know, if you try and fight that stuff head on, like you're just gonna, you're just gonna grind yourself down. You'll lose momentum. It's just, it's, you know, we think that just because here's the task in front of us that we have to do the task, but there are 
a million more ways to outmaneuver that task. Uh, Elon Musk says that the biggest mistake that most engineers make is to try to optimize something that doesn't need to exist at all. Like he just got rid of the landing gear on Starship. Like how many millions of billions of dollars did he save needing to optimize the landing gear system? He just got rid of it. Like most of the stuff we do in our daily lives as entrepreneurs is meaningless. I, I mean, that's the brutal truth. Like there's just a few things, a few minutes or hours per day that you spend where you actually deliver true value to yourself, to your business. And the rest is just it's just the tyranny of the minority of things that don't, they don't create real value. I got to follow up with the sales lead. Well, you know, is that a sales lead that's really going to change your business? When the reality is you are one relationship away from changing your business. Like who, who is that person you need to get relation, like person you need to hire a, a podcast, you got to go on a vendor that you can contract with a business partner so that you never have to follow up with that sales lead ever again. So yeah, there's just a million ways to outmaneuver that problem instead of letting that 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 direct confrontation just grind you down. Yeah, I think that's it's crazy to think how simple it could be, but how complicated we actually make that. And I'm curious as you've built, because obviously it's something like you obviously have aspirations for bigger. I mean, you don't start with a small portfolio and grow to where you're at without aspiring for more. Have you found something that that motivates you? Do you have a great morning routine? What gets you in the mindset to get out there and hustle every day? Obviously, you have the family you're supporting. So I imagine family orientation is a big piece of that for you. But where do you grab that and garner that motivation from? Yeah. So that's a great question. I love that question. And that's an area that I really need to improve on. So Anyone with kids knows that morning, it is the hardest part of the whole day. You know, bedtime and morning, it is a crisis. It's like you're running a refugee camp or something like that out of your house. So we have a full-time, you know, live-in nanny. And that just became like, like an essential, you know, it was so destructive to my energy to wake up and deal with, you know, juggling four different, you know, screaming babies that we had to have, like whatever it takes, we had to have someone who was just there at 6 a.m. every day just another set of hands to help get lunches made, make sure someone's got food in their belly. At least one of the four have something in their belly before they go out the door that those kids are in a good emotional state. You know, like every day, if you got four of them, one of them is very cranky when they wake up. It's a, you know, roll the dice, which one it is. And I have not found a pattern or a solution to it. So just making sure that, you know, I've got help with that part of my day and I'm not like my, you know, emotional state is not shot, you know, by the time I actually walk in the door at the office, when I'm like showering in the morning, I'll listen to something motivational, like YouTube has got Jim Rohn or Joe Rogan or whoever, just listen to something that inspires you. I always fall asleep with humor. I've got a, uh, a Bluetooth headset and I'll wear that. I'll listen to like something funny as I fall asleep and I can find, I find I can curate my dreams and really improve my sleep that way, which is a big challenge when you've got young kids. I had to wake up, you know, six times last night to feed a baby or move a baby or something like that. And then I believe that it is my responsibility to be in a peak state when I walk in the door. So every organization is a direct reflection of the psychology of the leader. That's just how it is. And if you're in denial of that fact, I'm sorry, but you've got some tough times ahead if you're trying to grow an organization. So if I walk in the door and I'm not in an absolute peak state ready to inspire my people, I can't walk in the door. I need to be just late for the meeting. I need to just get some time to myself, enjoy my morning cup of coffee and watch the sunrise or whatever I need to do to be ready to serve my people. You know, first thing that, that we do Monday morning, every single week is I get together with my team. We have our key performance metrics that we go through and, you know, our sales and marketing team have vacancy and different, you know, metrics that they solve for. Our maintenance team has the number of maintenance tickets that, you know, are pending and that they've closed. My metric as the leader of the organization is every employee has to submit a survey, an anonymous survey on a scale of one to 10 of what's their energy level, how happy are they, and do they feel valued in their work? 
And those are my key performance indicators. So that's the bar I set myself. If I can't walk in the door and inspire my people, then I am failing them. And I have an obligation to, to work on myself before I'm allowed to go into the office. So whatever that looks like, some days is a little bit different, but you know that's kind of what my morning routine looks like. That's what I need it to look like. That's the bar that I have for myself to, to walk in the door in the morning. I love that because I, I would imagine that also translates to leaving work when you're going back home. Right. Where you have you have to show up just the same. Right. You have to show up just as strong, just as powerful for your family, especially with the hands you got to deal with there six times a night. That sounds like it's a long night in there for you, man. Last night was a long night. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, being you know brutally transparent. That's something I struggle with is I find it easier to be my perfect self for my team than for my family. I think, you know, maybe that's a male female thing. Maybe it's just an American capitalism thing. I don't know what it is, but it's easy for me to lower my standards when I'm with my family than when I'm with my employees. And I haven't quite found the solution there. Maybe I need to get some KPIs. That's actually a really good idea. I need to do, I need to do a CSAT survey with my kids. They're my most important customer. It's actually really good. It's easy (laughs) for me to be, you know, tired at the end of the day to, you know, whatever, and to not be the best dad I can possibly be. And that's something I need to be more about. And then my wife, you know, I spend some time with her throughout the day and it's easier for me to not give her truly present focus time as well. So, but you're hundred percent correct that, that I need to have that standard for myself. And that's, that's definitely an area I struggle more with that than I do with, with showing up for my team at the office right now. And I, I know this is a journey for all of us, right? It's like reps in the gym, right? You just got to keep going in, keep putting in the effort, keep putting in the work. Have you found a resource that you really love that stands out to you? Is it a book, a podcast, music? What, what helps you get into that headspace? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of Tony Robbins. I'm in his platinum partnership, you know, group or whatever. And, you know, I love his seminars. I think he's kind of the the top of that, you know, mindset pyramid or whatever he teaches the teachers. We have a, a personal coach, Trevor McGregor, that we work with, you know, once a week we'll meet with him and he kind of specializes in our business niche a little bit, but he's just a rock star mindset coach. We've got another coach, Greg Dickerson, that, that I meet with probably every other week on, you know, kind of business tactics. I'm in a group of abundance. I'm in their champions group. So we do, I probably spend about 25% of my week of my hours in the week, just doing, you know, personal development or whatever, you know, I meet with a personal trainer five days a week. And the truth is, if I was not paying people a kind of ridiculous amount of money to, you know, have a personal trainer there every day, like you, you don't have to have a personal trainer there. That's totally optional. If you can't afford it, just go to the gym. But like, you're always going to play to a higher standard when there's someone else just pushing you there. Like, Nick, you got another rep in you, like, let's see it, you know? So, you know, I've got coaches for different, different aspects of my life. My wife is also kind of my chief coach. She's the person who like being brutally honest with you, she signed me up for all this stuff. She's just like, I think she believes in me more than I believe in myself. And she's the one that signed me up for Tony Robbins and for GoBundance and for all these coaches. And she's like, okay, we've got the money. Nick, I believe in you. I know this is what you need to get to the next level. So it's on your calendar for next week and for, you know, whatever for, you know, each week for the rest of time. And uh, uh, you just need to surround yourself with people that just believe in you. And we all let ourselves be surrounded by people that maybe make us feel better about ourselves because we're doing a little bit better than them or something like that. And I try to surround myself with people who, I have to step up my game just to be in their presence. Like in my physical health is not my best thing, you know, like I'm in the gym five days a week now, but I wasn't a few years ago. And when I started doing some of these elite masterminds, I was, I was the fattest guy in the room. And like, all of a sudden that's totally unacceptable. Like no one can live with that feeling 
But in my day-to-day life with my previous peer group, I wasn't the fattest person in the room. I was, you know, average. So it was okay for me to abuse my body, you know, if I'm being really brutally honest with myself. So finding really good coaches and mentors, uh, you can have a workout buddy. You don't have to have a personal trainer, but just get people into your life that are just holding you accountable because other people always hold you more accountable than you can ever hold yourself that believe in you, that see bigger things for you than maybe even you see for yourself and getting an incredible peer group that just makes you raise your standard. It's, it's uncomfortable. That first time you walk into that room with that level of peer group where it was a fight just to get into that room, like there's some imposter syndrome and a feeling, feelings of inadequacy and stuff. But, you know, in time it, it goes away and you feel like you belong. And now like this is your standard and it is no more difficult to be with that peer group than to be with your last peer group. It's, it's an equal amount of effort. It's probably even easier in a lot of ways because other parts of your life get easier when you're with that peer group. So that's my recommendation to anyone who's trying to step things up. And I, you know, again, my wife gets a ton of credit for being, you know, my chief coach and just always believing in me and pushing me. Just whoever that person is, it's easy to fight them, right? I actually fought my wife for years on stuff. She'd be like, Nick, you know, maybe we should try doing vegan for a month. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to do that. And Hey Nick, maybe we should try whole 30. Uh, No, no, I don't want to do that. Hey Nick, maybe we should go to the gym every day. No, I don't want to do that. Like just kind of fighting fighting those suggestions or whatever. I felt like I was maybe losing control of my life or maybe she thought less of me by thinking I needed to get better. And it was the exact opposite, right? This is the power of belief. Like just, it's just a two millimeter shift from this person thinks less of me to this person thinks I can be so much more than I am that I can always improve. I can always get better. I mean, the truth is I have very little control over my life. Like that sounds kind of crazy, but I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get to work or back. Like I might, someone might drive me. I might, I might have a vehicle. I might drive myself. We've got, you know, a a large staff of people that help keep the household ship running. My wife's the captain of that ship. I'm kind of the captain of the ship in the business. She's the captain of the ship in the household. And I have to be, you know, submissive to her authority, essentially, you know, on the home front. And she has to be submissive to my authority in the business. And that's probably an uncomfortable feeling for a lot of people, but it's such a cool privilege to get to just like show up for my life. Like tomorrow I'm flying to Atlanta, going to a mastermind for like 36 hours. And I'm flying to LA to go to a different conference that we're sponsoring. I didn't book any of those flights. I didn't set the calendar. I just said, I'm going to show up for my life and wherever it takes me, wherever the people that I've brought into my life to guide my path. Like I didn't set up this podcast interview. I found this amazing person who like helps me set up podcasts. I listened to a couple of these podcasts before I showed up. And it's been so cool talking to you here, Zach. And like, I I just knew I had to show up as my full authentic self. And I feel like the more control I kind of forfeit in my life, the greater freedom I have that I just have to, like, I get the privilege to show up for this like amusement park or something like that. That is my life day to day. Man, I love that. And you definitely have some big names and I'm familiar with Trevor McGregor. He's been in a bunch of conferences over the years in the real estate space. And then obviously go abundance. We had Chris Ryan on the show. Not too far back, another good guy. I mean, you're, you're doing the right thing. The coaches, the mentors, I think that's the most impactful thing that's ever helped me. And, and I'm curious, with all the amazing things you're putting forward, all the work you're doing for yourself, for your family, for your company, what's the legacy you're wanting to leave in the world with all this awesome stuff? Yeah, legacy is, I mean, I think it's like the buzzword or something like that of the last several years of my life. Like, I love the national parks. And there's these plaques to Walter P. Mathers and says, there will never come an end to the good that he has done. He preserved these places and they will never be exploited. Or, you know, this natural beauty has been preserved for thousands of years from now. There will never come an end to the good that he has done. I don't know exactly what that is yet in my life. I've got some ideas though. I think that Rockefeller and Buffett 
kind of bent the moral arc of capitalism towards justice in pretty significant ways. You know, Rockefeller created the whole concept of modern philanthropy. And Buffett created the, you know, the pledge. Like if you have been given such privilege to be a billionaire, like you have a moral duty obligation to give that back. It's not okay to keep that. And that is such a, it's a needed concept in like the capitalism system. It just gets out of balance sometimes, especially on those extreme individual ends. When I look at capitalism today, I see massive growth in the private equity space. So public equities, the stock market and stuff, capital is kind of flooding out of public equities and into private equities. Institutional you know, players are frequently like the majority of their portfolio is in private equities, not in public equities, because there's just so much more yield, higher rates of return in the private equity space than the public equity space. But the typical private equity fund manager is you know, kind of a Wall Street persona, kind of a value extractor, kind of just trying to squeeze as many fees as they can out of every deal. And then they'll reach out to a local operator like Elaine and I and see what kind of value they can squeeze, you know, by bringing capital that they've rounded up and brought to us. And none of that, it doesn't have to be like that. So, you know, in our private equity fund structure, 5% goes to charity. 5% goes to our staff, our securities attorney, who's done you know a million of these things, said he's you know never heard of these concepts before. The idea of a fund manager that actually wants to give the money away. I would love the idea of like a like a zero profit private equity fund. So like you put your money in, you get your money back, and you know 100% of the profit goes to you until you get your money back, and then you're out. The general partner and the active partner, they're out. It's just, you know, here's this pool of capital that's dedicated to charity forever. The 5% give back. I talk to as many you know fund managers as I can and say, you know, in your next fund, just give away 5%. It's a tiny number, right? Like maybe your rate of return goes down a point overall or whatever. Just give away 5%. And I would love it if, you know, 50 years from now, kind of like the Buffett pledge or what Rockefeller did, like it, it's just not okay to have a private equity fund that doesn't give back. Like, oh, well, what's the charity you're supporting? Nothing. Like this is just to make money for people who are already rich. Really? Okay, well, I guess I'm not interested in investing in that opportunity. I don't know what the future holds, but I suspect it's going to be somewhere at that confluence. It's happening faster than I expected. You know, I probably a couple of times a week, I'll talk to a fund manager and they'll say, hey, what's with this whole 5% thing? And I'm just like, man, give it a try. There's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars running through private equity every day. People don't see it because it's kind of a secretive space compared to public equities. But I mean, you could rebuild every school in America every year with 5% of that pool of capital. It's just a two millimeter shift, just a tiny little shift that could make something like that happen. And I would love to see something like that happen in my lifetime. And I think that's obviously a huge endeavor. I love that you're thinking that big and bold. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about legacy, they don't think that long-term, right? And I love that you're thinking that big, hairy, audacious goal, my friend. And I love that you're on that track. What's a way for everybody to support you? How can the audience find you, learn more about you, connect with you? Go ahead and give us all the links and all the social media handles. Yeah. So if you go to meetblackswan.com, that's got links to everything. If you want to jump on our newsletter, we have two funds that are open right now. I'm not sure how soon this podcast is going to go live, but it's possible those opportunities might be closed by the time this podcast goes live. But we'll potentially have another, you know, capital raise, you know, available probably in the next six months or something like that. But you can, you know, join our Facebook group. You can, you know, take a look at our course if you want to, you know, support our charity and see how how we make money. 
We think that the way we do business makes the world a better place. Uh, you know, our property management company, we've got, you know, $300 million in assets under management, but we've only had just a few evictions ever in, you know, the long-term residential real estate space. We think that if you treat tenants with dignity and respect, it's just the right thing to do, but it turns out it's actually a really profitable thing to do as well. If you did want to get involved in our fund, it's just a radical structure. There's no fees whatsoever, which, you know, is, is just kind of unheard of in the industry. A hundred percent of the profit goes back to our investors before we get any share of the profit. It's just all about kind of giving, overwhelming everyone we do business with, just an avalanche of generosity. And that's really what's enabled us to grow. I mean, who, who cares about, you know, a bunch of fees on a, you know, on a $10 million private equity fund, you know, in a few years when we're doing a, a billion dollar private equity fund, like that's the thing that's going to move the needle. That's the thing that's going to change the world. And, you know, it's helpful that Elaine and I, we were kind of, you know, financially free before we started this thing. Like I still drive a 2012 Honda Odyssey with a salvage title. I mean, there's really no point having a nice car. If you've got four kids, they can throw up in it and scratch it and whatever. And I don't care. So we just don't have a lot of material needs for ourselves. So it just, it allows us to be really generous with the people that do us the great honor and privilege of entrusting us with their hard-earned capital. So that's the best way people can connect with us is go to meetblackswan.com and check out some of those investment opportunities. I love it, man. I appreciate everything you brought to us, Nick. I think that's an amazing endeavor. So much passion and purpose behind something like real estate. I think it's just an amazing endeavor. And I definitely encourage everybody to come back to this Friday. We're going to talk a little bit more with Nick about how we can actually get involved with everything he's doing with Black Swan. But also, I just want to say, Nick, thank you for your time and for everything you're putting out to the world, my friend. Thank you so much, Zach. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.